I want to recap a little bit about where we have come from. How many of you were here for the entirety of the Outlaw series? You've been here the whole time. Come on, old faithful we got here. I see you guys. So y'all know it's been a lot of fun. Uh, week one, we talked about Jesus the Outlaw. We started it off just kind of with a bang, all right? Jesus came and he was pinned as this outlaw with all the Pharisees and the scribes and these teachers of the law that, that were thinking that they knew what was up. They knew the right way to live. They knew the right way to please and to honor God. And yet this guy, Jesus, comes on the scene fully God and fully man, and he's teaching in these crowds, and, and people are listening to him and not the Pharisees anymore, and now they're getting upset, and they're like, well, what do we need to do? We gotta do something because this is not a good thing. We're losing our power, right? And so they pin him as this outlaw that's going against the Old Testament law, but really what Jesus was doing, he actually says in the passage we're gonna talk about today, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to what? Fulfill it. I came to fulfill the law. We're not abolishing anything, but I'm actually helping you guys understand this much better than you have understood it before. And so then week two, we talked about how Jesus was also a table flipper. The message is Jesus, the table flipper. And yes, I did flip a table on stage and it was great because I made sure to look out and see how many of y'all were on your phones, how many of y'all were falling asleep. And I was like, check this out, bam. And I look at all y'all, oh my goodness, it was great. I absolutely love doing that. Uh, and so that was a fun one. We talked about how Jesus has a personality. We don't think about that a lot of times. He has a personality. Not only that, but Jesus got pretty angry when he was flipping the tables in the temple. So we talked about anger. What does a righteous anger really look like? And, and he kind of had this outlaw vibe to him when he's walking into Jerusalem, into the temple, he starts flipping tables and everything. You don't think of Jesus that way normally, right? But he was heated and the Pharisees got even more upset at him because of that. But then last week, y'all, last week was probably my favorite message of the series so far. Uh, Jesus the jokester. Jesus the jokester. I really enjoyed that one. How many of y'all enjoyed that one if you were here? That one was pretty fun. I uh, got to tell some jokes, had a good time. I even made a rap, so that was kind of cool. I was so nervous, y'all, I'm not gonna lie. I was so nervous last week and I was about to do that rap. That's why I put on the sunglasses. I was so nervous, I was like, well, they won't see my eyes. I'll just read it right off the paper. They'll never even know, okay? So, uh, so I, I was so pumped for that one because Jesus, why? He's funny. Jesus was funny, y'all. If you look at the scriptures and you see some of the things that he said, he was calling out those Pharisees, the same guys that pinned him as this outlaw. He calls them out in a hilarious fashion, but then it also turns right around and roasted his disciples too, which I just think is the funniest thing. So Jesus has this personality. We've been looking at who he is in a few different lights, in a few different aspects of who he is. But today we're capping off this series, Jesus the politician. Okay, Jesus, the politician. How many of you just love politicians, right? Come on, raise your hands, raise your hands. Literally nobody, okay? That's what I thought. We vote for him, but generally, uh, generally, it's kind of a negative connotation. But I just want to read off the definition of a politician to you today. What is a politician? Uh, it says, a person engaged in party politics as a profession, okay? Listen up here. There's a lot of good people that are in politics. I want to say that right off the bat. There's a lot of people that get into politics because they really want to make a positive change in the United States. They want to make a positive change in the nation that we live. And they have ideas and things that they're passionate about, that they really care about. There's some great people in there. But more often than not, I think 
we see, especially if you watch the news at all, okay, you, there's always some kind of story of a politician that's corrupt. There's always some kind of story of a president that's doing this or a governor that's doing this, and they always got these different things going on. And sometimes you find out 10, 20, 30 years later that they were actually taking bribes or they were doing this and they were, they were uh, having the special interest groups, whatever it might be they were going about. And this isn't gonna be a whole thing about politics, I promise. Hold on, people, okay? Uh, but the second definition of a politician, I think is very, very interesting. Right underneath the one that says, a person engaged in party politics as a profession, there is a second definition, and it says, often disparaging, a person primarily interested in political office for selfish or other narrow, usually short-sighted reasons. Now that is a very interesting definition, which I think some of us would be like, yeah, that sounds more like it, right? You know, like the first one, okay, but that sounds more like a politician that we might know. We elect these officials to represent us and, and we trust that they're gonna make laws that benefit us. That's the whole point. We elect you and then you represent us in what we want. That doesn't always necessarily happen though because too often they might be bought out by a special interest group or they don't follow through with the promises that they made on the campaign trail just so that they could get elected, right? We know this is a thing. This is not new news to anybody. Uh, so why is there such a negative view of politicians? And I think you can kind of sum it up like this. It's because most of them, some for sure, but I would say even most are in for their own benefit, not for ours. They're not in it for our own benefit. There's some good people, but there's a lot of them that are in it uh, because they don't really care about you. They care about what they can get from you, which is money, fame, power, and influence. And politics and government has historically been corrupt. I mean, these are, these are things that historically, not just in the United States, but in every nation, anytime you get a bunch of group, uh, group a bunch of people together and try to get them to write laws and to make laws that are gonna benefit people, you put a bunch of people in charge, what's gonna happen? It's gonna get messy. Why? Because there's people in charge, okay? Because there's people in, that's just how it is. We're all human. We all make mistakes and we are naturally bent towards sin, greed, selfishness, right? We're naturally bent towards those things. And so there's always going to be some level of corruption in every political regime, right? But did you know that there was also politics in the Bible? There was also church politics in the Bible. And the Sanhedrin was kind of this Jewish council. If you've never heard of this before, the Sanhedrin, it's very different, okay? I'll try to explain it. It's, it's very different from what we have here in the US because we have a, a kind of a secular government governmental structure, okay? And they had this, like the Roman Empire in the time of Jesus was in charge of that area, but they also had the Sanhedrin, which was known as the Jewish Council of the Day, all right? And they had actually a lot of power over what happened in the people that lived in that region, okay? It was essentially like the Supreme Court of Israel, if you want to say it like that. And so within the Sanhedrin, they had a certain number of seats that were available to religious leaders, and the Pharisees was a group that held a few of those seats. Now, we've talked about the Pharisees a bunch the last three weeks, and so I kinda wanna give you a little bit more background of who actually are these guys, all right? Who are these Pharisees that we talk about? And Jesus talks about them so, so much, so I think we need to know, who are these dudes? Well, they were a very influential religious sect within Judaism, and they were mostly middle-class businessmen. These were guys that led some of the synagogues. Basically, they would have been kind of like the pastors of the day. And in the grand scheme of Judaism, though, they were actually a minority group. 
A lot of people don't know that because Jesus talks about them so much. It almost seems like they're the main people that, that everybody looks to. They're the main people. They must have held all the seats in the Sanhedrin. They must have held all the power, but they were actually a minority group that only held a small number of seats in the Jewish council of the Sanhedrin. But here's the issue. They had the popular support of the people. The people loved the Pharisees. And maybe because they were the kind of the middle-class guys, they were the leaders of the synagogues. And so they were the people that would interact a lot and they were out in the public eye a lot. They made sure that they were letting their, their presence be known all the time. And so maybe that's why they had some more popular support of the people. But many of the decisions that were made in Israel and in the Sanhedrin were actually because of the Pharisees. Even though they had a small number of seats, technically you'd think they would have less influence, but they had more influence. And so uh, just like politicians are today, the Pharisees were in the Bible. Okay, you have these politicians that we maybe not necessarily trust in a lot of ways, and the Pharisees would have kind of been just like that. They created laws that benefited their own greed. And we looked at that in, in the Jesus, the table flipper one, where they had the money changers and they would charge this astronomical temple, uh, astronomical temple tax that would benefit them and their own pocketbooks, right? Then they created laws that increased their power and used their influence to get their way in the higher ranks of Israel. And we saw last week too, when Jesus was roasting these dudes, how he did not hold back at all against them. Jesus saw right through this corruption, okay? He's not gonna be fooled by anything. He sees right through what's going on. And, uh, but Jesus was actually a politician too. Jesus was very similar in a sense. Now, before you say, hey, don't pin Jesus as a politician. I don't really like these dudes that much, so don't make me think of him like that. I liked last week when we talked about him about being a jokester. I like that Jesus a little bit better. No, no, listen, he was a politician too because while the Pharisees created laws that benefited themselves, Jesus was the first and the last, I would probably say, politician that created new laws that benefited the people. And we're gonna look at Matthew 5 today. If you wanna turn in your Bible, actually, it's a short message today, so I don't even have slides for you. If you wanna turn there, uh, Matthew 5, we're gonna be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we're kind of skipping around to a few different places today. But this is known as Jesus's most exhaustive list of commands. And it's also his most famous sermon, right? Like this is the sermon that everybody looks at the podcast when it came out. You know, they're like, did you hear Jesus's latest sermon from the Sermon on the Mount? It was incredible. It was amazing. They're going on YouTube and they're searching for it. It's going viral. It's got billions of views. All right. This is the sermon that Jesus is most known for. And he starts it off with the Beatitudes, which if you really think about it, it's a really easy way. You say it's attitudes for you to be, the Beatitudes, okay? It's just some great attitudes that we can have, some great things that we are supposed to be to help our relationship with God. But then he covers topics such as divorce, lust, anger, making oaths and promises, loving your enemy. And then he goes into some practical things too on how to pray, how to fast, judging other people, worry and anxiety. And then also, what's the real way into heaven? And in a few of these, there's six different times that he has a very specific formula for how he talks about these topics. And I wanna show you that formula today. It says, and you can even look, if you see right at the beginning, go to the one that says anger. You can go to the one that says lust, and you'll see right at the beginning, what does it say? You have heard that it was said, and then he says, the thing that it has been said in the past. And then he'll flip it and he'll say, but I say to you this. 
So you have heard that it was said, but I say this. What is Jesus doing right here? He is pulling a straight mom move right here, okay? This is exactly what Jesus is doing in these six passages. He's saying, okay, I know your father told you you could have a dirt bike for Christmas, but I say no. Sorry, kid, you know, that's not gonna happen, all right? Uh, and your dad might come up to you, well, hey, listen, I know that your friend Tommy said that you guys could go and watch a movie today. Listen, son, but, but I'm saying, no, you need to stay home and do your homework, all right? This is what Jesus is doing right now. He is pulling a straight parent move and once again, kind of roasting the Pharisees because saying, you've heard all these things that the Pharisees have said. You've heard all these traditions and all these man-made things. But listen, this is what I have to say. And honestly, what I have to say is a lot better than what these guys have to say. And so this section of the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus actually rewriting the law. And now before you say, well, I thought he wasn't rewriting the law. I thought you said he was coming to fulfill it, not to abolish it. Okay, he wasn't, just give me a second here. Okay, let me explain where I'm coming from. He wasn't rewriting it physically, but he was rewriting it in the minds of those who lived it every single day. Because these people thought that these traditions were as just as important as the law. And they thought that if they did the right things and they were taught this way by the Pharisees for so long, the law was just a list of do's and don'ts. How many of you ever thought that about your relationship with Jesus or going to church and, and the, the entity of the church? It kind of seems like sometimes it, it's just a big list of do's and don'ts, right? It's just like, if I don't do this, then I'm in good graces. And if I do this bad thing, then I'm gonna get chastised or I'm gonna get kicked out of the church or something like that. That's how so many people, even to this day, still feel like what church is. And Jesus is trying to go against that completely. But the Pharisees were the main culprits that started this line of thinking. They were super strict on the following of the law, and they believed as long as you did all the right things, as long as you didn't do any of the bad things, you would be all right, and God would be pleased. If you gave the right offering, if you kept the Sabbath and, and, and went to the synagogues at the right times, and, and you made the right sacrifices, and, and you gave the right offering, and you gave the right offering, and you gave the right offering, you know, that's what they cared about, you know what I'm saying? Like, they were so greedy, and, and they were, it was all about following the rules and the letter of the law. If you honored your father and mother. But Jesus has to come in and rewrite the law in their minds by saying, it's not about the laws themselves. Yes, it is about the laws, but it's about the heart behind them, right? How many of you are grateful that you know that God looks at the heart, right? He doesn't look at the exterior, but he looks at what's on the inside, who you really, really are. Maybe when you put on a front when you come into church on a Sunday morning, right? You might seem like you have it all together, but God knows what's in your heart. And listen, I'm telling you today, God knows what's going on inside of our hearts. You might actually do the right things and say the right things, but God knows if it's in your heart differently. And I think that's a very convicting thing for me sometimes because I know we can get up and we talk to people and, and whatever it might be in our daily lives with our kids and at work and all this stuff, you say all the right things, but then you know deep in your heart, you're like, man, I really didn't mean that, right? Well, God knows that about us. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across. And it's about the heart. So the first, we're gonna take three out of the six and look at them super fast, all right? Um, but Matthew 5, 21 through 22, it says, you have heard that it was said, there it is, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, but anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject 
to judgment. Okay, so the Pharisees here, they, it's been said in the past, don't murder people. And they're like, okay, don't murder. Check, haven't murdered anybody today. So I think I'm all right. I think I'm good. We're good. Me and God are all right. Jesus is saying, don't murder. Okay, but do you have hate in your heart towards somebody? Do you have hate and anger in your life towards a brother or a sister? Listen, this is the heart behind it, right? Jesus is saying it's not about the physical act of going and murdering somebody. Of course, don't do that, right? But if you have anger and hate and you're harboring that within you, that's what leads to those other things that are way, way worse. So start there at the root. The next one, Matthew 5, 27 through 29. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. That is a metaphor, people, okay? It is better for you to lose one party. I'm gonna come back next week. Somebody gonna be like, well, pastor, I only got one eye now because you told me to do it. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? Oh my goodness. Uh, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow, is that not a powerful statement that he makes right there? What are the Pharisees saying? What have they been saying for their whole lives? Okay, don't commit adultery, check. Haven't slept with another woman. I'm good with God, all right? What is Jesus saying though? What is he saying right here? Don't commit adultery. Have you thought about it though? Have you thought about it? Have you looked at that girl at the restaurant maybe a little bit too long? Have you looked at something online that maybe you shouldn't have? You know what I'm saying? Have you had conversations, ladies, with that single dad at the elementary school that's picking up his kid? Maybe you had a conversation that probably should have been had with your husband and not this guy. These are the things that Jesus, he's trying to get to the heart of it. And this is the main point. If you wanna write this down, if you are taking notes today, I only have a couple things that I really want you to remember, and this is one of them. These first two really represent, he has this, you've heard that it was said, but I say, and he's trying to get this point across that where you let your mind go, your heart will follow. And where you let your heart go, your actions will follow. Where you let your mind go, your heart will follow. And where you let your heart go, your actions will follow. And this is the problem with the Pharisees is they have that absolutely flipped. They don't care about the mind. They don't care about the heart. All they care about, they jump over those two and they go straight to the actions. Well, what did you actually do? What is the thing that you did? Was it right or was it wrong based off of the law? And if that's what you did, then that's wrong. And if this is what you did, then that's right. Well, no, no, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you gotta go all the way back to the root of the issue, which is controlling your mind. And this is something that's so important. The Bible says that God will literally cleanse your mind. Many times David writes in the Psalms, would you cleanse me, God? Cleanse my mind, cleanse my heart, cleanse my soul. Because if I am thinking right and if I can control the thoughts that are in my mind, and take captive those thoughts, right? The Bible says, take captive those thoughts, then I know that my heart will follow my mind and my actions are gonna follow my mind and I'm gonna think about good, holy, and pure things. But if you let your mind go crazy, right? And, and usually what ends up happening, let's take adultery for example, okay? This is just an example. What ends up happening is you, let's say, the lady hanging out with the dad at the elementary school, all right? You, you have a conversation with this single dad and you know, like, oh, he's cute, cool, whatever, you know, no big deal. And then that little tiny thought comes into your mind, like, oh, well, okay, he's, you know, pretty nice guy, he's pretty good looking, right? And then you start having a couple more conversations and those thoughts start to become a little bit more and more and more and then eventually your heart starts to get attached to this person, right? 
Your heart starts to get drawn more and more to this person. And then as your heart becomes invested into this person more and more, if you don't check that and you let that thing go and you let it run its course, eventually it might lead to an action of adultery. So the Pharisees are looking at that, but God and Jesus here in this passage is trying to take us all the way back to the beginning of that process and say, hey, listen, if you start there, then everything else will be so much better, all right? The last one I want to tell you today, and this one's so important, is Matthew 5, 43 through 45. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. The Pharisees, they say, enemies? Oh, we hate them for sure. I mean, definitely. Have you seen the Old Testament? God just like, just explodes people, right? He just brings a fire down from heaven. Come on, we got enemies. I got enemies, got a lot of enemies. Like destroy them, God, you know what I mean? Let's do this. And then Jesus is saying, no, 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 hold up guys. That's not what we're doing anymore, okay? This is not the kind of plan that God has for us. Enemies, you need to love them. You gotta love your enemies. Pharisees say, say what? We gotta love our enemies? That's, why would we do that? Well, Jesus says, actually just a little bit later, even the tax collectors, which were people that were not you know, thought of very fondly back then, even the tax collectors and the pagans, the people don't even believe in me, right? They love the people that love them. How many of you, it's easy to love somebody who loves you, right? I mean, if, you, if, if I love you, it's a lot easier for you to love me. And if you love me, I can love you real easy too. But what if we just hated each other, right? Like, what if you just don't get along with somebody? You got somebody in your life you just don't get along with. I know everybody's got somebody at work, uh, at home, sitting next to you right now. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Don't say it, don't look at them. But I know you got somebody in your life that you just don't get along with. Stop looking at each other, y'all. My goodness, you're gonna cause some trouble at lunch. Okay, oh, eating Mexican food like I saw what you did, you know? <laughs> but you got somebody in your life that you maybe don't get along with, all right? And, and maybe you have some beef with them, but it's a lot harder to love that person than it is to love the people that already love you. So Jesus is calling us up to this higher standard. And, and, and what is he doing with every single one of these commands? This, you've heard that it was said, but I say this. What is Jesus doing with every single one of these? So the answer actually comes right before he starts all of it. It's Matthew 5, 20. And it says, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven if your righteousness does not surpass the Pharisees. Now, the natural thing to think here is, okay, so I got to be better than the Pharisees, all right? And then I'm good. Like, as long as I do things better than they did, and I don't do the bad things that they did, then I'm gonna get into heaven and everything's gonna be fine, right? No, that's literally the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying. That's the, you realize that's the same mindset that the Pharisees had, right? The doing and the, do the good things, don't do the bad things. No, 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 that is the exact opposite of what Jesus is trying to say here. Um, he's not trying to set some impossible standard for us to live by. He's not trying to say you have to be better in your righteousness and the things that you do has to be better than the Pharisees. He's saying, no, no, no. There is an authentic, unhypocritical way of life that you can live. There's a way for you to be able to do it. And you have to live this way if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, this is the second thing I want to get across to you today. 
And if you're taking notes, write this one down. The Pharisees and teachers had wrongly understood righteousness as something to be achieved rather than something they received. The Pharisees were trying to achieve their righteousness by all these good works, by doing the good things, right? You know what I'm saying? This is a good thing for us to do. We gotta do the right, we gotta do the wrong, check, 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 and now we are righteous before God. Well, no, no, no. It's something that you actually receive from God. And this is what Jesus was rewriting in the minds of these people. This is the, what he was changing the law to be. Instead of it being a checklist, now it was being a heart list. Something that we're looking at our heart and inward saying, am I following God really, honestly? Am I keeping my mind in check? Am I thinking about things that are pure, that are lovely, that are good, right? And Jesus is calling us to this higher standard. And I know it can feel daunting because have you noticed every single thing that he says in here is a lot more difficult than what they had to do before, right? It's so much more difficult. Like don't murder, check. Like that would be so much easier, but now I can't even be angry at somebody? Like that's, that's a lot harder, right? Well, so if I get angry at somebody, now I'm gonna have you know, this big issue with the Lord or something like that? Okay, hold on, give me a second. What about this? Don't commit adultery. That's a, you know, I can do that. That's a pretty easy thing to do. Like, I love my wife. I love my husband. I ain't trying to be with anybody else. Sounds good. But now I, like, I have to control my mind in such a fashion where I literally have to be so careful. I can't even look at somebody and like think one thought or else I'm just like, oh my gosh, I got to gouge my eye out now. You know what I mean? Like, it's so much more of a higher standard that Jesus is calling us to. And here's the thing, like, like how is that even possible? Newsflash, it's not, Okay. It's not possible. It's not possible for us to be absolutely perfect in every single thing that we do. Now, do we wanna just go off and do whatever because we're like, oh, well, God's grace is here and he'll help me. No, 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 that's not what we wanna do. But it's not possible to live absolutely perfectly. And this is actually what Jesus is trying to help us understand. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If I can get everybody to stand in this place today, Tim and Sadie, whoever's coming up. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does that tell me? It's that it's through Jesus that you're made righteous. Amen? It's through Jesus that you're made holy. Amen? It's through Jesus that you're victorious over the sin in your life. It's through Jesus that you will get over that addiction in your life. It's through Jesus that you get over that anxiety and that worry and all this stuff. It's through Jesus that you can do all of these things that Jesus is calling us up to. You don't have to try. You don't have to strive. It's not a difficult thing when God is on your side. Why? Because when Jesus is within you, you become a new creation. That's the whole point of this. The Pharisees didn't understand. It was all about the letter of the law. And Jesus is saying, no, it's about who lives within you. That is the point of this entire passage and what Jesus is trying to say here. Now, there's three other ones that you can go read. I encourage you to go read those on your own. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, read that whole, I mean, honestly, I got some homework for you guys this week, all right? Read the whole Sermon on the Mount. 
I think that's a great thing to do just even on a regular basis. Read that whole Sermon on the Mount. It will change the way that you think about yourself. It will help you to kind of keep your mind in that place. It's renewing your mind, renewing your soul, renewing your spirit on the daily and connecting with God. And that way it's through Jesus that you're made righteous, not by the good things that you do, not by the bad things that you do, but where's your heart? Is your heart given to Jesus? Like, do you love God? Do you love people? Because those are the two biggest commandments that Jesus gave to us at the end of the day. And so this is all I really wanted to tell you today. I wanted to give some time for us to have communion and for us to honor God through that together. So if you wouldn't mind, would you go ahead and grab your communion cup today? you never had one of these before, it's real simple. Just pull the little top part off and we'll start there. <laughs> if you grew up Catholic, this is new to you, okay? I understand. <laughs> we actually have a lot of Catholics that come that it's crazy. I love it. Can I just say, I love our church. Can I just say that real quick? I love our church, y'all. Yeah, yeah. We got a good church. We love each other so much. We got Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, Baptists, Episcopalian, I don't know, Pentecostal, heathens. <laughs> Big facts, Pops, I see you back there. But that's the beauty of, of the body of Christ, right? That's the beauty of what we're doing here is that we might not all agree on every single little tiny thing, but we all agree on Jesus, Amen. I hope we can all agree that God is still a miracle working God. I hope we can all agree that if somebody comes to Christ and somebody says, Lord, Lord, will you save me? Will you forgive me? God hears our prayers and he forgives them, brings them into the body, brings them into the family. I love our church. Why? Because Jesus is at the center of it. We're unified, we're not divided. And it's always gonna be about Jesus first, man. Love you guys. Maybe today you're in this place and you're like, hey, you know what? I've just been trying so hard to get right. You know what I mean? And we've talked about that a couple times during this series. And that's the whole point of this whole series is stop trying so hard to get right. Do you understand? Stop trying so hard. Stop striving, right? Because it's not in you trying that's gonna help anything. It's you actually surrendering to Jesus that helps everything. Laying down all of your sin, laying down your anxiety and saying, you know what, I can't do this. I understand that I'm not good enough. I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that the more I try, the more I try, the more I try, I always feel like I'm caught in the same thing over and over and over again. I can't get over this sin that's in my life. Listen, give it up, just give it up and come before the cross because it's through Jesus that you are made righteous. It's not something that you can achieve. It's something you receive. It's something you become through the power of God in your life. So maybe that's you today and you're saying, man, I've just been trying so, so hard. It's so difficult for me. I wanna pray for you today. And maybe some of you here, you're saying, man, I, I've never really given my life to God before. I, maybe you wanna rededicate your life to him today. You recognize what Jesus did for you on the cross and you say, hey, I need to get right with God in this place. I wanna pray for you too. 
And I wanna make sure before we take communion here today that everybody has a chance to get forgiveness before God. Because every time we take communion, we always wanna make sure to say, hey Lord, if there's anything that's within me right now that is sinful, anything that's within me right now that, that is evil, God, would you eradicate that from my life? God, would you please forgive me? Because when we take communion, this is a holy, holy time. We wanna make sure that we're honoring God with our lives. We say, God, would you forgive me? So with every head bowed, every eye closed real fast, I'm gonna give everybody an opportunity. If that's you today, you say, hey, I've been trying and striving so hard and I just wanna give that up. I wanna give my, uh, you know, give these things to God. Or maybe you're saying, I need to give my life to Jesus here today. Maybe you wanna rededicate your life to him today. Or maybe, you know, you just need some forgiveness for something that's in your life. You say, God, I'm, I'm giving this to you today. Would you please forgive me? Would you help me, Lord, before I take this communion, forgive me, wash me clean once again. If that's you today, for any of those things, you just raise your hand. I just wanna pray for you today. I see a couple people, come on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Come on, there's a lot of people today. If that's you, just raise your hand. It's just, it's just between you, me, and God today, all right? Ain't nobody looking around, nothing like that. Amen, amen. Let's pray right now, Father, for these people. God, would you just help them right now, Lord Jesus, for the people that need forgiveness in their life, the people that are coming to you right now that are being honest enough to say, Lord, I, I got some stuff I'm dealing with. I'm gonna stop trying so hard. I'm gonna give it to you today. And Lord, I ask right now for each and every one of these people, whether they're giving their life back to you, whether they're saying yes to you for the first time or they're just bringing something within them that they need to lay at your feet. God, I pray that you would save them, heal them, deliver them and make them righteous, not by their own strength, but by your strength, God. As they give these things to you today, we know that your, uh, your burden is easy. It's easy for you to carry our sin. It's easy for you to carry the things that we have. It's easy for you to carry our problems. Why? Because you conquered death. You conquered hell. You conquered the grave. You conquered everything in this universe and you sit at the right hand of the Father victorious over all of it. So God, forgive us if we've ever thought that our problems are too big for you to handle. Thank you, Jesus, that you can take all of it upon your back. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on. So as we take communion today, we're gonna start with the bread. Yeah, somebody, somebody give me a cup. I forgot my own. Thank you, Jesus. Come on now. Goodness gracious. Oh, praise God. I'm not, I was non-denominational growing up. I should have been able to do that easily, okay? We did this all the time. Good Lord. Do you want another one? I'm good. I'm good. Oh my gosh. Uh, Matthew 26, 26 through 30. We'll start at the beginning. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. Let's take a second right now and just, what I want you to do is close your eyes. And this is a practice that I like to do anytime I take communion and I think it's, it's really helpful is just picture Jesus hanging out with his disciples. The last supper, right? He knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows what's about to happen to him. He knows he's about to die a terrible, terrible death. And yet, what is he doing? Hanging out with his buddies, hanging out with the people he's invested his entire life in. And put yourself there with them, having this 
Passover celebration, having this, this meal together, this, this last supper, and Jesus knows what's about to happen, and these disciples are confused. They know something's up, but they haven't fully figured it out yet, and, and yet Jesus is just hanging out, spending time with us. Put yourself there. Just imagine what he might look like, you know, it, whatever he looks like in your head, and I just imagine him with a big smile on his face laughing, having a good time, blessing his disciples, still teaching, still loving. And whenever you're ready, go ahead and take the bread. Remember the body of Jesus that he gave for us. Father, we thank you. Thank you for giving your son, Jesus. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for giving your body for us. Beaten and bruised, whipped, crown of thorns put on your head, all for me, so that I could live, so that these people here today could live. Thank you, God. Go ahead and get the cup ready. We'll continue. He took a cup of wine, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Wow. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So we talked about this, right? Didn't we in, in this series? Week one, Jesus is the outlaw. About the Old Testament and how they would have to sacrifice animals for the forgiveness of sins. And, and then there was this very strict law. Like if you did this thing wrong, you gotta sacrifice this animal. If you did this thing, you gotta sacrifice this, right? And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, you know what? You don't gotta do that anymore. I'll be the sacrifice for all. Amen. I'll take all the sin. I'll take all the things that you got and I'll put it on my own back. I'll put myself up there on that cross and I will die for you as a perfect, sinless, spotless lamb. And the blood that was shed on the cross is what covers us. It's what covers our sin. Now it's kind of a hard thing to think about, right? But you, you picture Jesus in his body hanging out with his disciples. But now what I want you to do is you got to take yourself there to the cross. And you got to picture the crown of thorns and the blood that's it's coming out of his head. It, it hurt. He'd been whipped and, and beaten. Nails were put through his wrists and through his feet. He's dying a horrible death. And yet, what does he do? What does he say? Father, forgive him for they know not what they do. Wow. What a love he has for us through that blood, right? So whenever you're ready, take a second and pray. Think about Jesus in that moment and the blood that was shed for you and for me and take the cup whenever you're ready.
Now, come on, can we just give a big shout of praise to Jesus today for what he's done and who he is? Come on, put your hands together. Put your hands together. Come on, we can do better than that. He is worthy of our praise. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for your blood, for your body that was broken and poured out for us. Thank you that we have a new life in you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the outlaw, that you did everything right. You never did anything wrong, and, and you loved us so much that you went to the cross for us so that we could have a life, and people hated you. They spat on you. They beat you, and they thought that you were doing everything wrong, and in reality, you were doing everything right. You were the spotless lamb. You were the son of God and the son of man that came down in the flesh to live just like me, to live just like us, with your own personality. In your anger, you flipped over the tables and in your joy and in your humor, you had fun with the disciples and roasted them a time or two and you performed miracles. You did all this stuff and it was all at the end of the day for me, for these people that are here, right here, right now. So thank you that you let them pin you as the outlaw. I'm glad you were an outlaw, Jesus. And I hope that you would help us to live with the same tenacity and the same willingness and the same boldness to speak your name to the people that are out there because of everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, have you enjoyed this series? You had a lot of fun in Outlaw. I hope you have. It's been really good. I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it with you guys. Um, I have a couple things I wanna let you know about before we leave today, okay? A couple things, a few announcements. If you'd like to give your offering, if you're a part of Radical Church, uh, you can do that there in the back before you leave today. Thank you so much for giving to Radical Church. We got a couple of events that are coming up. I wanna let you know about that are very important. Uh, if you live in Plum Creek, you know about this. If you live in Kyle for any period of time, uh, Hootenanny on the Hill, has anybody ever been there before? It's a fun, fun event, okay? And we actually have a sponsorship. We have a vendor booth that we're going to be there. We're going to have like a little wheel of prizes. It's going to be a lot of fun. So bring the kids out to Plum Creek, Hootenanny on the Hill. Check that out. Make sure you find us there. And then we have a women's event that's coming up on the 20th. Uh, they're having it at the Plum Creek Community Center. You can go on your church center app to sign up for that. Uh, they're going to have food. They're going to have worship. It's going to be a good time. But then the big, big event, y'all, you might have seen it. We posted it on Facebook. Big event that we have, it is our trunk or treat, it is our fall festival, guys. It's gonna be a ton of fun. It is on Saturday, October 30th, and you don't wanna miss it. I'm telling you guys, this is gonna be the biggest event and the biggest outreach into our community that we will have this entire year, okay? So you do not wanna miss this. And more importantly, I wanna encourage you, please sign up to help. Uh, we're gonna have trunks as well. So if you've ever done a trunk or treat and you know how fun it is, We'll provide the candy for you, so you don't have to worry about it. You can bring some of your own candy, but really you just decorate your trunk, have a fun game for the kids to play. What about 10 or 15 trunks if we can right out here? We have inflatables. We're probably gonna have a petting zoom. I'm trying to get a fire truck out here so you can take pictures with the kids because I know the fire chief. Hey, what's up, okay? Uh, and so, and the marshal too, what's up? Uh, and then uh, what else do we got? We got all kinds of, we got free food, hot dogs for like the first 150 people, uh, all kinds of games and fun stuff. It's gonna be an absolute blast. And I checked, I posted it three days ago and we already have like 110 people on the Facebook event, okay? And most of those people, I've never even met them. So if that tells you how many people from our community are gonna be coming to this event, it's a very, very important thing. So please go to the Church Center app, go to the sign up thing, and there's lots of ways you can get involved and volunteer and sign up for that. 